0: dark out there hey good morning we get to jump into a new book today the last book of the old testament malachi and uh, we are going to um, bathe in god's faithfulness today and we're going to celebrate god's faithfulness over the next nine or ten weeks as we get to engage um, the lord through his prophet malachi Let's start out by praying. God, we thank you that, um, as we just sang, that you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. And God, the crazy truth is that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God, even when we're unfaithful. And God, we thank you for the promise that you have set upon your covenant people, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you only have um, uh, goodness and mercy for us all of our days, yet Lord, we have um, at times false expectations, and when we experience those false expectations or or expectations that don't come true, God, we oftentimes um, we oftentimes become apathetic in our faith, and so God, I pray that our that you, Spirit of God, would enliven our faith this morning, that we'd be reminded of your faithfulness to your people throughout the generations. So I need you. God, would you give me your grace to be able to proclaim your message to your people for your glory. And God's people said Amen. So have you ever uh, had a time, or maybe today, I know you've had a time often but where you have expectations and your experience is that The expectations are not met. Have you ever experienced a time when what you expected was not what you experienced? That's what I really meant to say. You go into an annual review expecting a raise and instead you get a pink slip. You go on a date expecting a proposal and you get dumped. After working 40 years with the same company you get to the end of your life or the end of your career and your finances aren't what you had expected. After pouring your life out to your kids for 18 years, your adult kids don't appreciate you in the way that you expected. You exercise every day, only to get a medical diagnosis that was unexpected. When our experience doesn't match our expectation, it can create apathy in our living. When our experience doesn't match our expectations, it can create apathy in our relationships and cause us to complain. When we don't get what we want when we want it, oftentimes we can walk around in, in with a lack of joy. We can be drained of our joy. When life is hard and God seems distant or absent, we can check out and we can become apathetic in our faith. Maybe some of you have said this before, this is just not working for me. Or ask the question, what has God done for me lately? My life is a mess. Or what's in this for me? Why should I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? What's in it for me? Many of us have unfulfilled hopes and as a result have grown spiritually apathetic looking for blessing and fulfillment outside of God's plan. And When we look for blessing and fulfillment outside of God's plan, it is a recipe for a miserable life. Many of you are too young to know the singer Frank Sinatra. But I think everybody's heard of him, but he has a song that is called, And I'll Do It My Way. And the refrain is, sounds like this, And now the end is here, and so I faced that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I lived a life, a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And more, much more. I did it. I did it my way. And it, from my view of life, that whenever I've done it my way, it has never worked out. It has never ended up in blessing, but the opposite. So the remedy for apathetic faith and the assurance of blessing, you, you want a deeper faith and you want the assurance of blessing. The remedy for apathetic faith and the assurance of blessing is remembering God's past faithfulness. Is unchanging love, and the reality that this is not our home. Today, I'm going to introduce the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi speaks the words of the Lord to God's people, roughly 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And this book, written 400 years before the New, te- before Jesus even came on the scene, has deep and massive application for us. There is a a popular pastor out there that says that the Old Testament has no relevance for God's people today. And I'm here to tell you that the Old Testament has massive relevance for the way that we live our life today, and to remind us of God's faithfulness. In the face of our hardships, complaints, and complacency, God reminds us through Malachi of his faithful love for his unchangeable nature, his universal greatness, and yes, future judgment. God is faithful even when his people are faithless. In a time of unfulfilled hope and spiritual apathy, Malachi is calling his people then, and he's calling the church today to be wholehearted and devoted to our unchanging faithful God. Compared to what the people had expected in Malachi's time, what the experience made them doubt God's ongoing faithfulness to His covenant people. And I see so often in the church that when trials come our way, we start to doubt God's faithfulness. It's not that God has become an unfaithfulness, it's that we've got wrong expectations of what God's faithfulness looks like. We're going to look at one verse today. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The first verse tells us four very important facts about the book of Malachi. There's an audience. The audience is Israel. There's an author. His name is Malachi. There are words spoken. These words are from the Lord. And these words are an oracle. And that oracle belongs to Malachi. The name Malachi means my messenger. In Hebrew, Malak is messenger and I is me. My messenger. Malachi is God's messenger. Malachi is most likely this man's given name or his personal name as well. But either way, the point is is that Malachi is God's prophet or messenger. A prophet's primary function in the Old Testament was to serve as God's representative mouthpiece. True prophets never speak on their own authority. That was true then, and it's true today. They never share their personal opinions, but rather they deliver the message that God Himself gave the prophet. The divine inspiration of, and authority of the Old Testament prophetic voice is nowhere more clearly affirmed than 2 Peter. Chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. It says this: Speaking of the Old Testament, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have no biological information on the prophet Malachi, but we know that he is speaking the word of the Lord, and it was an oracle. And an oracle means it was a burden, a heavy load. Malachi was a Jew speaking the word of the Lord to fellow Jews. He was speaking to God's people. And God's people were his people. And he wanted God's people to, to, he wanted God's richest blessings to rest on the people of God. And he knew that some would heed his message and others would reject his message. And he knew that he couldn't change a soul. Um, In many ways, um, when I preach or other men in the church preach, we are prophets. Not because we are preaching new revelation, but we are preaching the finished canon of Scripture, the finished revelation of God. And there's a burden because we know that our job is to proclaim the Word of God and it's the Spirit of God's job to change hearts and change lives. And there's a burden that comes with prophesying the Word of God because you want people to change. You want God's peace and comfort to rest on God's people. You want God's people to experience His blessing. And we only experience the blessing of God when His Word that is prophesied penetrates deeply into the heart of man and starts bringing transformation. The focus of this book is not the messenger Malachi, but the message, the Word of the Lord to His people Israel. And I thought it would be helpful It's going to be a little bit of a different sermon to spend most of our time this morning taking a historical look at the complicated relationship between God's people, Israel, and their God. Throughout the ages, God's people have proven unfaithful. Time and time again, they've been unfaithful, yet the eternal God has proven faithful to his people. Malachi is writing to the people of God, living 400 years before the birth of Christ, as I already said. God has been faithful to His covenant promises throughout all the generations. Yet people's experience, based on faulty expectations, led them to an apathetic and mechanical worship. And my prayer is today, is that that wherever you're at, that you would not leave here with um, with an apathetic or mechanical worship. That you would, you would join in with Paul in Romans 12, 1-2. Um, through two, That you would leave here desiring, because of everything Christ has done, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That, that you would respond to God's faithfulness by desiring, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live more faithful and less apathetic lives. God created humans to live in God's place, under God's rule, and in living under God's rule is the place of blessing. He's created us to live in His place, under His rule, and it's living in His place, under His rule, that we will experience blessing. Blessings and enjoying our best life now is always found in living under God's rule. God warned His people that if they disobeyed and rejected Him, He would punish them by removing them from the land that he put them into. So today, we're going to be reminded of God's faithfulness to his unfaithful people over time. Malachi is speaking to God's people then and to the church today. This is a massive and relevant message for God's people today, to wake the church of God up today. He's speaking to Israel He's speaking to the people that he created. And let me just take you back to the garden. In the garden, we see the world as God designed it to be. God's people in God's place, living under his rule and enjoying his blessing. And then sadly, Adam and Eve thought life would be better if they took things into their own hands and did things their own way. You know the story. The results were disastrous. They were banished from the garden, and they were no longer under, in God's place, under God's rule, and therefore they were not able to enjoy God's blessing. Instead, they became under God's curse, and now they will endure His judgment, it all seems hopeless, but God in His great love is determined to restore the pinnacle of His creation back into a right relationship with Him in His place. And after pronouncing judgment on them, He pronounces salvation over them. He pronounces a salvation that would come from the woman's seed. And in spite of His covenant promise, His image bearers continue to sin and reject their Creator. We're told in Genesis 6 that the wickedness of humanity was great on the earth and every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. The Lord had every right, the just and holy God, the creator of the universe, had every right to wipe humanity off the face of the earth, but because of his love and his desire desire for humanity to experience the blessing of his love, in his place, under his rule, he relented. God's plan for salvation will become progressively clear as time unfolded. In Genesis 12, God makes an unconditional promise to an imperfect man who would start a new family and would receive who would receive God's blessing. This promise is called the covenant. This particular covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. The, the covenant that he made with Adam and Eve in the garden at the promise of the seed coming forth is what's called the, the Edenic covenant. So God gives a further glimpse here to Abraham of how he will bring humanity back into the land. And he says this in Genesis 12, And I will make of you a great nation. And when you, see, when you hear great nation, don't think of geopolitical or a geographic nation. Think of a family or a people group. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram's descendants will become God's people. And they will live in God's land and enjoy His blessing. And through this people, this family, all the earth will be blessed. This covenant or promise is the gospel. And we see the gospel all throughout the Old Testament. We see the first gospel, the proto-gospel, in Genesis chapter 3. And this gospel, this covenant, this promise is partially fulfilled in the history of the people of Israel. But we know that it finds its ultimate fulfillment through the perfect Jew, Jesus Christ and Abraham's heirs didn't understand that. In fact, all the way through, all the, all the people that heard this, all the way through the Old Testament, didn't understand this. They didn't understand that there would be, full, there would be a fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. In this covenant, or this promise that God made to Abraham, which is for his people, there's conditions under this covenant. There's conditions for blessing. Let me read it, Genesis 18:19. For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children, his heirs, God's people, and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Blessing. Salvation comes by grace. Nothing God's people have done, but blessing comes from obedience. This is a covenant rule. Obedience follows acceptance, not the other way around. That that we are accepted, what? Therefore, we obey. Every other religion on the planet says that you, you obey, and then you'll be accepted. But Christianity says that we have been accepted... By God's grace, therefore we obey. And it's when we obey, it's that we experience maximum joy and blessing. The story continues. Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. God renamed Jacob Israel. And Israel had 12 sons who by God's providence settled in the land called Egypt. And in Egypt they were fruitful and they increased greatly and they grew exceedingly strong. And Egypt was filled with them, the scripture says. And as they grew mighty and many, they became a threat to the Egyptians and in turn were enslaved by Egypt. Where we're told in Exodus chapter 1, the the Egyptians made the Israelites' life bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. 430 years they spent in slavery. And then after 430 years, their faithful, covenant-keeping God miraculously delivered them from enslavement in Egypt by crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. You see, God's faithfulness is always present, but it's not always according to our timeline. We don't always see His faithfulness. But he is always faithful. After being delivered through the Red Sea, three months later they arrived at Mount Sinai. And here God makes a solemn covenant with Israel to confirm and undergird the covenant he made with Abraham. And there's some, I'm going to just go over high level, the main features of this, new, of this, of this uh, progressive covenant, this Mosaic covenant, which is, which is called progressive revelation. In Exodus 19, Moses goes up the mountain and God tells him that if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Moses goes down and reports this to the people, and the people respond saying this, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, we know what happened after that. They didn't do anything the Lord asked them to do. And as a result, the sons of Levi slaughtered 3,000 people, and God sends a plague. But the nation, the family, the people group was spared. Now here's, here's the question. What becomes of the covenant? God's people broke the covenant before it was even completed. And if this covenant were based on works, or in strict justice alone, Israel would have been done for. All of humanity would have been done for. But to show that the covenant is based on grace, God renews the covenant and uses words which make this, this gracious foundation clear in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. And We see it also um, in Exodus. Listen to these words. For you, my Faithless people, my covenant-breaking people, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more numbered than any people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is faithful even when we are faithless. And after declaring that they were His people, not before, God gives His people the law. He declares them to be His treasured possession, and now He says, live this way. Here's the law. And He he gives them the law so they might live under His rule, and what? Enjoy His blessing as Adam and Eve did before their fall before they sinned. And now after about 40 years of wandering in the desert after Mount Sinai after receiving the law, they finally entered the land that God had promised Abraham during and during the reign of David and uh, King David and his son Solomon, they enjoyed peace and prosperity in the land. They arrived. The promise was fulfilled. Or was it? They were in fact God's people living in God's land under God's rule, and therefore they were enjoying God's blessing. However, heaven had not yet arrived. This wasn't heaven, and God's covenant promise to His people was still unfolding. God further clarifies His covenant promise that God would act defensively through a king, and that king would not be David, it would not be Solomon, it would not be Solomon's son's. Listen to the covenant as it unfolds to David in 2 Samuel 7:12 7, through 17. This is God speaking through the prophet Nathan to David as David is ready to die. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. That should give you chills. One day, God's covenant will be fully and finally fulfilled when the son of David comes to restore peace and bring blessing to all the nations. But God's people, operating with impatience and false expectations, persisted in disobeying the Lord's commands, which led to Israel falling apart again. For years and years, God had warned His people through the prophets that if they rejected Him, He would punish them and remove them from the land that He had given them. And along with these warnings of a just and holy God, the prophets offered hope. They didn't just um, proclaim judgment, they offered hope. And they offered hope by reiterating God's promises to His covenant people. After Solomon's reign, Civil war broke out, and Israel was split in two. Ten of the tribes went north to it was would become known as Israel. Two of them stayed south in Judah or Jerusalem. And this split made them, this civil war made them weaker and more vulnerable. And after 200 years or so, the northern kingdom of Israel disappeared and has never been heard from since. The southern kingdom of Judah limped along for another hundred years. Where at that time the prophet Isaiah declared in Isaiah 611 through 12. He says, how long, O Lord? And God said to him, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. He's pronouncing judgment on the southern kingdom. That day came, and the Babylonian army swept into Jerusalem and destroyed everything in its path, reducing this once great city to a pile of rubble and carrying the Jewish people off into exile. That brings us to the book of Malachi. This brings us to Malachi's prophetic words to an apathetic people of God. And you can kind of put yourself in the place of the Israelites, where every time they turn around, they're getting whacked. But they're getting whacked not because God is unfaithful, but because they are unfaithful. Here's the thing their apathetic faith and their doubting of God's love and care for them was not their response while they were in exile living away from their homeland. This this apathy that Malachi is speaking to is a result of what the the Jewish people, God's people experienced when they returned to the land from Jerusalem. You see, while they were in exile, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel prophesied about how glorious it's going to be when they get back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would emerge from the rubble and the temple would be restored to be a much more beautiful place than it was. The prophets painted a picture of God's blessing Israel and returning her to her original glory days of the past and installing the promised king who would bring peace and blessing back to God's people. When Malachi spoke the words of the Lord, God's people had been out of captivity and returned to the land for roughly 100 years. So when Malachi's speaking here, the people are out of exile, they're back in Jerusalem, and they've been there for about a hundred years. Yet after a century, not one of those promises had happened the way they expected them to happen. Instead, they encountered opposition from non-Jewish residents of Jerusalem, in in rebuilding the city and the temple. Yet they persisted in building the temple. But this temple that they rebuilt was a shack in comparison to the former temple that was destroyed. It was physically and symbolically inferior. In fact, when the people saw the temple, the rebuilt temple on its opening day, they wept because it was an embarrassment. Compared to what they had expected... What they experienced made them doubt God's ongoing faithfulness to God's covenant people. Have you ever found yourself in this position? Yeah, you know that Jesus died for your sins. But as you look at your life, maybe your family, your, this country, this world, you might wonder if God is faithful. Does he even care? The people that Malachi is writing to had not learned their lesson from the exile and they drifted into apathetic mechanical worship. So the Lord spoke one last time to his people through the prophet Malachi. And that's good news because God was still speaking to his people. This book of Malachi, four chapters, is a discourse of six Disputes, if you will. Each dispute is introduced by the assertion from the Lord and is challenged by a dispute from the people. The people say six times. God God pronounces either, well, the first one is God says that um, I love you. He says, I have loved you. And the people say, how have you loved us? What they're what they're really saying is, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but we were we were taken away in exile. Yeah, but the priests slaughtered three thousand of us. Yeah, but we had to eat bread for weeks on end. And then the Lord counters their complaint with words of confrontation and comfort. So here's the six disputes. They've, they've grown skeptical of God's love. We see that in Malachi 1, 2 through 5. They become careless in worship. They don't bring their best. That's in chapter 2. They're disobedient to the covenant continually. Malachi two 10. They're faithless in their marriages. Chapter 2 and 3 they're stingy in their offerings Malachi chapter 3 You see God challenges their faithlessness and at the same time reminds them of his covenant faithfulness In this amazing prophetic book he reminds God's people then of the coming of the day of the Lord Malachi 3:1 Behold I send my messenger John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It may not be on your timing, but the Lord is sending his messenger. The Lord is sending the Lord. The last word of the Old Testament in Malachi is a reminder of the coming of the day of the Lord pointing to the Jesus. The last word of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, also refers to the coming day of the Lord. And that's for us. On that day, on the coming day of the Lord, our faith will become sight and we'll be be forever in the presence of our faithful promise-keeping God. It's when, as, it's when, as, as uh, Sam said to Gandalf, it's when everything sad is going to become untrue. It's going to be when C.S. Lewis said in The Great Divorce, he says that, that no future bliss can make up for it. Um, speaking of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for temporal suffering. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn that agony into glory. What he's saying here is that heaven is going to work backwards and it's going to turn um, every agony in this life, every, um, every hard expectation that wasn't fulfilled into glory. So church, let us live with a proper expectation. Let's keep our eyes on the horizon of history, waiting, as, as Paul says to Titus, waiting for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The, the remedy for our apathetic faith, the remedy. It's not a better life. It's not more things, not more money, not better health, not different politicians, not a different country, not living in a different state. The remedy to our apathetic faith and the assurance of blessing. You want the assurance of blessing? It's remembering God's past faithfulness. It's unchanging love and the reality that this is not our home. Amen. Let's pray. God, we bless you. And we thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless, when we are unfaithful. And God, I thank you that we get to look back over thousands of years, over generations of people whom you called your treasured possession. And we see the rebellion, yet we see your steadfast love. And God, I pray that the reminder of your faithfulness would compel us to want to be faithful and to have active faith, not apathetic faith. And God, we know that we can do all of that because we are fully and forever accepted and that we have a sure and um, um, sinless home waiting for us one day. We love you.